Week number seven, 1 Corinthians study. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for illumination. Thank you, Lord, for opening the eyes of our understanding and helping us to know you better through it. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked about last week. The head covering, that's all we talked about last week was the head covering, wasn't it? That's right, but we ended up, we were finishing up the week before, so we're on track. Um, question, would anybody be against, not next week, but the week following, if we're still behind, would anybody be against, right, right now we're not scheduled to have class in two weeks, would anybody be against having class in two weeks? Um, if we do, what would happen is Pastor Greg would teach it. Um, I'm going to be out of town, but I don't want I don't want to get, keep getting further and further behind um, each each time. So, but it, as schedule wise, wouldn't be a problem to have a cl- you know schedule a class. We'll probably do that. We'll we'll know at the end of next class if where we are in the uh, if we catch up. So so we talked about head coverings. We talked about um, began to talk about the. Abuses of the Lord's Supper. Bottom line, all of these things were because they were not walking in love. It was all about love. Really, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is about love. He's correcting a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of errors within the church, a whole bunch of, of excesses, a whole bunch of, of things that they were doing. Mostly, I believe, they were, they were doing them uh, because of innocent reasons. I, I really don't think that they were just bad people. I think they just didn't know, you know. Uh, they, they were probably, well, and more than likely, they were very new in the faith. I mean, it was still a very young church. And it isn't like a, a church that, that starts today uh, and is a year or two old where people move in and have been Christians for 20 years or, you know, they brought maturity to it. These were brand new people coming out of the world, coming out with with old practices, with old uh, habits, with old belief systems, and they were coming into this freedom, the freedom of the kingdom of God, and coming into the kingdom of God where there's power, and they're using, they're they're, 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 uh, enjoying that power, but they're also falling into excesses. They're falling, they're, they're, they're doing things, you know, here's, we have freedom, we have so much freedom, we can do anything we want. Well, uh, I did a sermon a number of years back, and I looked up the word freedom in the 1848 dictionary or whatever what, what, whatever year that was, the, the, the original Webster's Dictionary. And the orig, original Webster's Dictionary for the word freedom said you are free, you, you, you have the ability to do anything you want within the confines of God's law. That was the word of, that, that's what freedom was. It wasn't you could do anything you want. That was the 60s that brought that, and we saw where that's brought us, uh, that, that, meant, you know, that uh, train of thought. But freedom was anything you wanted to do, freedom to have anything you wanted to do, but within the confines of, the, of the God's spiritual law. So they had to learn that. They've, and then through this, he's defining what does this freedom mean. You know, you're free to, you know, uh, you know, idols are nothing. You're free to eat meat, meat sacrificed to idols. But unless somebody else is offended by that and it's harming their faith, then you don't do it. You don't go there. You don't, you don't push that button just because you can. 
um, and so on and so forth. So he's still dealing with that. Now they're dealing with um, the abuses of the Lord's Supper. They were coming and just having a party. They were coming and having, uh, getting together, eating, drinking. Uh, they were bringing food. But what was happening was that when they came, they would bring food for the Lord's Supper. But then some, because they were rich, had all kinds of food and drink. And then others who didn't have resources were sitting there without anything, anything to eat, and people didn't care. You know, they, they, they were... They were uh, they didn't think of others. They didn't put others before themselves. And so the, the, Paul says some, let's find that verse, verse 20. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have time or homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not on this matter. So they're coming together. They're not walking in love. They weren't thinking of each other. They weren't asking, hey, do you have anything to eat? Why don't you join with us? I mean, that's the, that is the godly response. That's the godly response. Uh, way to do but or you know the way to, to act towards somebody else but they weren't doing that they would bring the elements for their family and friends and then there were some who didn't have anything verse 23 for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Um, years ago, I heard somebody teach along this line. It was actually a very short teaching right before we received communion. And he focused on that verse, which, which I don't usually focus on, which I've, I don't know if I've ever focused on it, maybe a little bit. Is it? <laughs> it says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And, I, and, and he started talking about that verse, proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And he said, what we're doing when we receive communion is we're basically making a legal claim on the death of Jesus. When we talk about heirs, being heirs, when you, when you inherit something, what, are, what, what has to happen before you can inherit something? Somebody's got to die. That's, that's the whole idea. And, and legally speaking, you can't inherit what they have until they die. So what we do at uh, communion, what he's saying we're doing is, he's saying we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're saying he has died and, and we're, we're partakers of his body and of his blood. So what we're saying is we are heirs because we are of this family. We're of this body we're of this blood we proclaim that he's died so when when we make that statement we're saying we are joint heirs with christ in everything that god's given him and so it's a very powerful 
uh, statement of why we do communion. Communion is not just something to fill up once a month part of a service. We are, we're literally speaking forth the promise of God that, well, because of what Jesus did, he said, remember me. Whenever you do this, remember me. We're remembering what Jesus did because he legally bought for us. The last thing he said was translated, it is finished. It is finished is, is a correct interpretation of what he said, but what he said had a lot more meaning behind it. The Greek word is actually, or the Hebraic, or not Hebraic, the Aramaic word that he said was tetelestai. The word tetelestai is a, is a, uh, a, um, a legally binding phrase that is given at the exchange in a business deal. So if I was buying Brian's phone from him, uh, I would say, uh, I will give you uh, $300 for that phone. And so he would give me the phone, I would, I would give him the $300, we would then shake hands and we would say, Tetelestai, it is paid for, it is finished. And so um, it, is a, it was a legally binding contract, verbal contract, so when Jesus died, he said, it is finished, which obviously has the meaning his life is finished, his work is finished, all those things that people have always believed that that's what that means. And it means that. Of course it does. But the word tetelestai, they understood it as it is paid for. When he, when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins. So when we proclaim his death, we are making a, a legal claim on the, on the uh, inheritance that he paid for, okay? Just a little side note. I didn't even have that in the notes, but no extra charge. <clears throat> Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty uh, heavy duty. I mean, there are whole denominations that believe you're going to die if you do this wrong, if you do it unworthily. And Paul is saying, you guys are doing it unworthily. They weren't, it wasn't because they were eating that piece of bread and that, and that, or that you know, matzah or whatever they were using at that time for the communion and drinking that wine or juice as we drink you know, here. It wasn't that, that element itself what they were doing unworthily was they were proclaiming the inheritance, but they were doing it in selfishness. They were doing it as, you know, I've got mine, my wife and I have ours, our, my wife and I, my family, and our really good friends, the Hackett's, we have ours, we don't care about you. And so what they were doing was they were proclaiming the Lord's death, but they were doing it in an act of selfishness. He's saying, if you do this unworthily, you're in danger of, of judgment because this isn't a light act. You know, what they were doing wasn't just a, oh, it's part of the service. It's eight, you know, it's, you know, I almost said, I almost said 845 because 845 was 15 minutes before the church that I used to go to would get over. You know, it would start at eight, be done at nine. At 845, communion starts, you know, on the, on the first day or the first Sunday of every month. And it was just the thing you did. It was like clockwork. You know, at 8.45, the usher started walking down the aisle with the elements, and the pastor changed from what he was doing into, the, into you know, what he was talking about into communion, and you'd, you'd be done with communion and the last song by five minutes to nine. 
so you could see, that way you could get your coat on and you could get out the door as quickly as you could. Oh, it was, they were, no screwing around. But what they're doing is, it, it, it isn't, you know, it has become many times, I heard of, you know, we've all heard about the drive-through communion, you know, and, and, and there was a church somewhere that had a drive-through communion. <clears throat> you know, and so, you know, it's like this, oh, it's this thing we do. No, well, it is a thing we do. Yeah, hurry, I, I did my thing, you know. Some, some denominations believe that that is what saves you. If you don't receive communion, you're not saved. And if you don't receive communion after the last time you sinned, you're not saved. I mean, hello. They've taken it and completely, it'd be interesting to have Paul come back and write a, a letter to the church now at all the goofy things we do. And we, I put we as on the, the uh, ecclesiastic, no, the, the, uh, the, well, no, I was going to say Catholic, but worldwide, which Catholic means worldwide, but the worldwide church, the goofy things that we do. So, what he's saying, though, is that when you do this, you're proclaiming your inheritance. You're making a statement. You're making a, a, a spiritual statement that I am of this family and I have right to these promises, to, the, to the, every promise that the body... The brokenness, the broken body of Christ, the lashes. You know, he says, this is my body broken for you. When he was whipped, he was whipped for our infirmities, for our sickness. When he died on the cross, it's so that we can be healed. And, and that is a legal binding contract with God that he paid for with the body of Jesus, the, the, the stripes of Jesus. When we receive the blood... We are laying legal ownership, legal what's the, legal claim to salvation. The blood bought us salvation. We're saying, I, this blood, because I, I am part of this blood, I'm part of this new covenant, I have salvation because of what Jesus did. Not because of this little thing of juice or this little thing of wine. It means nothing. The juice itself. But the act that we're doing is very sacred, very powerful. And he's saying here, you guys are doing it wrong, and because of it, you're under judgment. 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So they were not walking in love, and they were trampling on the very essence of, of what the Lord's Supper was all about. Because he did it out of love. He did what he did out of love. Verse 30. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning, if we were more discerning with regard to others, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that he, we will not be found or be finally condemned with this world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather together, or when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further, further directions." It'd be great to hear what those further directions are. We don't know. It's not recorded. It's not was not written down anywhere. It'd be great, but we don't have it. 
We're to think of others first, even when we're worshiping God. No matter what, you know, in everything that we do, even in the midst of worship, we're to think of others and to put them first. Any thoughts before we move on? All right. 1 Corinthians 12, concerning spiritual gifts. He's going to take a, 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 seeming, a seemingly sidestep, but he's moving on just to the next point. The central theme of this is still love. The whole book is about love. Every uh, situation that they talk about, every, every uh, uh, I want to say, say the word infraction, but infraction may not be, every, every problem they're having in the Corinthian church, and he's dealing with it, always comes back to love. Why? Because everything always comes back to love. Jesus said, you know, or they said, what, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your, your strength, and love, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we love, that is the commandment. When we love, we will act correctly. When we don't love or when we act incorrectly, it's because we don't love or we're not loving. If we judge, if we, if we snap, if we do whatever, it's out of a lack of love. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Um, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That that elsewhere is also quoted, or that idea, 1 John 4, verse 1, if you want to turn there, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Cults many times will not believe that Jesus either came in the flesh, he only came in the spirit, or he's only a spirit being, or that he's not God in the flesh. That is, that is the indicator of, is it a cult or isn't it? Is it, a, is it a, an offshoot of something? Now, there are denominations that say Jesus is Lord, that say uh, Jesus is God, that Jesus came in the flesh, and yet they, 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 they differ, they have really strange teachings of their place. Are they Christian or are they not? Really, the only test we have according to the New Testament is this one. If they claim that Jesus came in the flesh and that he is God, he came from God and is God, they're Christian. The, the idea of God, the triune God, the, the three-in-one God, yes. That, that he is of God and is from God, that he, that, and that he came in the flesh. Because 
and I don't know, I'm, I have not studied uh, other, other groups, I haven't you know, studied cults enough to be able to tell you, well, this one says this and that one says that. I have people asking me all the time, well, what about this one? What about, what about Jehovah's Witnesses? What about Mormons? What about them? I can give you what they believe. I can tell you, but I can't, you know. What I did do, though, for tonight is I did actually go to um, the Mormon website and look on their belief system, and I copied down. Did I, did I leave any blanks? I mean, there's a section here that talks about the plan of salvation Mormons believe. I did last week. It was last week's. Do you have last week's? Okay. Okay. But one of the, the other one I wanted to look at was Muslims believe that Jesus came in the flesh. See, and here's, that's the two, the two sides of this. They believe that Jesus came in the flesh, but they believe that he was a man. Right now, Muslims. I'm going to talk about Mormons in a second. Because actually this last week, somebody actually called me up and said, I need to ask you a question. Are Mormons Christians? Well, and we'll, we'll look at why, why we say that. Why, why I, I, I agree. They're not Christians, but I... But, if you've, if you've, go ahead. Yeah. If you, if you've ever had a Mormon come to your door, if you've ever met a Mormon, if you've ever, uh, I'm, I'm related to Mormons. Okay. My, my aunt and her, her whole side of the family are Mormons. And you know, that we are Christians. We believe the same thing you do. And I say, well, not exactly. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. We believe you must be born again. And we believe that Jesus is from God. And, and, we believe, and I'm like, yeah, but what about? And then and we'll get to what, I, about what about here. <laughs> no, I know what you meant. <laughs> That's not on the tape. Take that off the tape. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Certain parts of them, that certain groups of them believe that. Like, you know, yeah, like, is it kind of like your and that's and that's the whole point is they'll tell you we believe we're, we believe you must be born again. We believe that Jesus is from God. We believe that He came in the flesh. Yeah, we believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, we believe in you know, and they tell you all these things, and you're going, wow. And that's why this person called me up this last week and said, I need to know, are Mormons Christians? Because their son is hanging out with a friend who's Mormon. And they're going, well, of course we believe all those things. And I said, but here's what you need to know. Here's, here's what they say, using their words, in their terminology, here's what they say. And it, it, it exposes them to it. Let me finish up with Muslim really quick. Muslims believe that Jesus came in the flesh. But they believe he was a man. He's a prophet, but he's not God. That, that Jesus will come back. 
at the end times. He will come back in the sky, just like the, our Bible says. But he comes back to herald the coming of, of Muhammad. He's, there, he's Muhammad's prophet. No. Mm-mm. That's somebody else. That's, that's a whole nother. Yeah. Well, and there's a bunch more. It's, it's yeah, they're, they're gearing up, boys. It ought to be interesting summer. Oh, really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We are definitely in the end times. And, and two things are going to start happening. Well, you know, a bunch of things are going to start happening. But two main things that I see, one is that they're going to start to compromise. People will start to compromise and say, oh, yeah, okay, well, yes, that, that is acceptable also. And pretty soon you won't be able to pinpoint anybody where they're at because they'll, they will just, they'll be able to tell you theologically, well, I believe this. And people will compromise and allow that to happen. Two is that it will, start, it will all meld together. It'll all, you know, the Catholics will start believing that the Mormons are fine, and the Mormons will start believing that the Baptists are fine, and the Baptists will start believing that the Mormons are fine, and the, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, that's scary stuff. And we are going to be the absolute freaks. We're going to be extremists. We're going to have to watch you, and you're not going to be allowed to be able to, to, to congregate together because you're an extremist because you believe that Jesus, that, that Jesus is the only God. I mean, you can see this. We're heading in that direction. I mean, when I was a kid, it just didn't make any sense when you read the, you know, the, tri- the Chick Tracks. Ever, anybody ever read Chick Tracks? You know, Chick Tracks was a guy that, that he wrote on all kinds of stuff to scare you into heaven, was basically the, and he was good at it. It was, it was good stuff. But, um, you know, he would, he would write things, and it would be like, you know, in the end times, they're gonna, everybody's going to believe that everybody's right. You know, and I'm thinking, yeah, wrong. You know, because in the 60s and 70s, you had the fundamentalists who this is, you know, the, this is the word of God and we don't vary off of this and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And here we are today having this discussion. And it's, we're not, we are, we are one domino away from everything happening. It's that close. The interesting stuff. Okay. I actually went to Mormon website, went to their, what do they believe? And I found this and, and put it in. I'll read it to you, but I, I, I inserted it into the thing so you could read it yourself. It says, the plan of salvation teaches that God the Father is the literal Father. This is, okay, now, here, you got to, careful, this is Mormon, <laughs> okay? So you're going to read this and go, well, yeah, sounds like they're good. But just listen to the whole thing all the way through. The plan of salvation teaches that God the Father is the literal Father of all spirits, and that as spirits, we live with him, we lived with him before we were born with physical bodies into mortal life on earth. Do you remember, Deb, that Christmas Eve service we went to that church year about 15 plus years ago? And we sat there and the father and the, and the daughter read that, dial, that, that uh, dialogue back and forth. It was on Christmas Eve, and it was... When you, she, they started reading this, and I'm thinking, and this is a Bible-believing church. And they start reading this thing back and forth, and they start talking. It, it's, it's a spirit of an unborn child talking to God and talking about, you know, will I remember you? 
when I get to earth? Will I this? Will I, you know, and back and forth. And my spirit started rising up. And I was about ready. I just about got up and walked out. I was furious because I didn't know why I was mad, but I was mad. I mean, there was something. There was a righteous indignation rising up. That's a lie. It's, that was Mormonism creeping into that Bible-believing church. You know, do spirits exist before a child is born? <laughs> now, that's the deal. Conception I go with. But, that, but then that spirit is in that child. But we don't pre-exist. We, we pre-exist do not pre-exist. At, at the moment of conception, God breathes, the, the, he, a spirit is, is breathed into that child. Exactly. Okay. So interesting. That's the first thing right there is we lived with him before we were born with, phys, before we were born with physical bodies into mortal life on earth. Christ was the firstborn of the spirit children of God the Father. Well, that, doesn't that sound good? You know, doesn't that sound what, that's what we believe, isn't it? Not exactly. And was more intelligent and gifted than all. What that is basically saying is that we are at the same level as Christ. We're, we're of the same stock. We're of the, the you know, when he, he just happened to be the first one that was created of us. And that we all existed together before what we understand now as reality. Christ was chosen to save mankind by working out an infinite and eternal atonement to come to this earth as the literal only begotten Son of God and to put the whole plan of redemption, salvation, and exaltation in operation. This is in the, the Mormon doctrine. This is on their website. This is their, them saying it. So they're cross-referencing Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, edition 2, page 129. Oh, yeah? Mormons believe, and I highlighted this because this is where we go. This, 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 they had to admit someplace. They, at some point in time, they had to admit what they really believe. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ has always been a separate person from God the Father. When in reality, that is not true. Jesus is God. Yes. That, then, well, it, it, they would not even call it polytheism because God is, Jesus is not a God. Jesus just happened to be the one who buys us. He's the Christ. He's the one who bought us atonement, but he's not God. So you're right. But yeah, in some ways, Christ, in some ways, in some ways, Christ himself is our father. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the father of all those who are born again. He is one with God and he is one with God, the father in all the attributes of perfection, power, and authority, but not one with the father in spirit. By obeying his commandments during mortality, we become his children in another sense. We are his and he is God's. So, you can see the subtlety of this. You have to, here is where we have to know the word of God. Because you can take, they take our words, they take the words of the Bible and they realize where, 
where people are at now, where, where you know, people are, are wary of them and we, we don't trust them and there's something between them and us that we don't understand, but they're smart. They take our words and, make, and, and say them back to us, but they don't mean the same things. Yes? Yes. They believe that God rose him from the dead. Yes. And that's fine. But here's the deal. If Jesus is not God, then the, then the sacrifice wasn't worth anything. You would have to, I don't know. That, I don't, that was the, my next thought was exactly that, is they might say he was sinless, but he couldn't have been. Oh, okay, so there, there you go. See, I, like I say, I haven't... Okay. They're brothers, yep. Native Americans, and there was a. Then there's supposed to be a temple somewhere, a, a pyramid somewhere in south, you know, south southwestern America, you know, blah blah blah, yeah. And that's the whole part about I have sheep that are not here that are not of the same pen, and yada, you know. So there's all this yada yada, you know. But bottom line, you know, if you boil it right down to where is the difference, that's the difference. The difference. They have the same original Bible we have plus the Book of Mormon, which was given to them by a, uh, an angel, was an angel dictated to uh, Smith. What's, what's, what's Smith's first name? Joseph. I was thinking John Smith, but that was the, that was the pilgrim thing. Uh, yeah. Well, Revelation says if any of you add anything to this book, you're 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 condemned. You know, you don't we don't that's why we don't add to, and that's why we don't subtract from. That's why we don't have uh the apocrypha. Because they can become Christians by reading the Bible. See, here's what would be great to have Dan. Uh, Dan Lewis was a, was a priest in the Mormon church, and he, he directly says, absolutely not. They are not Christians. And he, he, knew, he could tell you exactly, not only that, I mean, that's the, that's the litmus test right there. But he could also say there's all kinds of other teachings where they don't line up. But if they don't believe that Christ came in the flesh, is God, the Spirit of God, you know, the, or the manifest uh, bodily form of God, they can't be saved. But if they're they could get there, and they do get there, you know. And, and it does. It, it does. I mean, Dan got saved, and others have gotten saved. The interesting thing, my, my grandfather passed away. He had three daughters. Uh, my mom, who was a born-again, born-again believer. My aunt, who was 
Mormon, and then the other aunt, Rose, who was an atheist. So he dies. We go to his funeral. My brothers and I are, and my cousins are the, are the pallbearers. My sister-in-law gets up to, to, uh, um, to uh, uh, sing, gets up to sing, and she goes, I know that Grandpa is in heaven because he was born again, which he was. I mean, on his deathbed, he and I talked a bunch. I know the guy's saved. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he asked me. He was scared. He says, am I, you know, John, what's the deal? Because he even said, he says, he goes, John, I have a, a Christian daughter, a Mormon daughter, and an atheist daughter. Which one of them's right? And I said, well, Grandpa, what do you believe? And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ came, lived on the earth, died for my sin, and was raised again. I said, sounds good to me. Works for me. And... But, he, you know, so we get to the funeral. My, my, my cousin gets, or my sister-in-law gets up. Grandpa's going to be in heaven because he's born again. Sings her song. My cousin gets up, the Mormon, says, I know that Grandpa's in heaven because he was a good man and he worked hard and he took care of his family. So works, it was a works-based religion. And he worked hard and he was a good man. Then the, the, the Lutheran pastor got up and says, I know that happens in heaven because he was baptized as a child. And, and I... I turn, to, I turn to my brother and I go, he's in. <laughs> you know, if, if, anybody, if anybody's in, he's in. He's covered. You know? So, you know, but it, it, is those, it is those subtle things. You know, yeah, I could go on. Yep. That he came to the earth, that he died for his sins, and that he rose again, and that he rose again. And that is the, the essence. I mean, if you wanted to get more theologically, you know, was he, was he God in the Spirit? You know, I mean, he, he would have believed that too. But, I mean, he didn't say that. But we don't have to jump through all those hoops, you know. My guess is that you, my guess is that just as there's a ton of Christians who are biblically illiterate. Yep. I would, I would agree with you if it wasn't for the Mormon church. The Mormon church almost doesn't allow for illiterate Christians. They, I mean, they, they have to study to the level of, you know, I mean, it, they're very thorough. I mean, we, they actually make us, they, they make us pale. They put us to shame at, at their expectations. They get together, the, the high school kids, junior... And then when they get to college, they're, what is it, they're, they took, take, take two years in the middle of their college. They have to take two years and do a missionary. But they, they have to study and, and be able to articulate who they are. And they have to do it. So there, I, there aren't, I'll, and I, uh, how do I say this? Well, you, no matter what, if they, if they graduate from high school, then they go on two, two years of a mission trip. Like Kirk High School, it was a St. Paul 
wonderful kids. The Dan said one time, Dan Lewis said one time, he says, he said that the one thing about the Mormons was this is the answer. If they, if you ask them a question, they would, they will blah, 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 blah. They will give you the answer. So how much of it goes into their heart? I don't know, but they know the answer. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. But it, it he says, it, it, it was almost eerie. You'd be in a meeting. You'd be in, in a, a Mormon meeting, and they would have to go through their confessions, and it was just like, and it would just be these confessions, and everybody would just say the same thing. That was just so. Then, when you witness to a, or, you know, if you start sharing with a Mormon, you will get back the rote answer, whether it's in their heart or not. I don't know. So, you know, that's why I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but I would, I am disagreeing to the level that they know what they're talking about. Yep. Okay. We will never get done with First Corinthians if we keep doing this. But, but that is an, that's an important one because we live in a world where things are becoming more and more uh, watered down and more and more mixed together. And we need to know what we believe. We need to be able to articulate what we believe. Yes. Totally different, in as much as they are Christian, but they don't believe that there is a Trinity. They believe that Jesus is God, that the Holy Spirit is God. Or I'm sorry, no, no, no. Whew, that was close. That they believe that Jesus is Jesus. They believe that Jesus is God, and they God the Father, and they believe that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. That it's Jesus only. That Jesus is the name of God. And that he is them. Now, when Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize people, in, or baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another place, where's the other one in? Acts, where it says, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. They take that and they say that, well, the name of God... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And they'll take that. It's, it's, a, it's a form, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's a form of uh, Pentecostalism. And it is an extreme end of Pentecostalism where they not only disagree with you, if you do it wrong, you're not saved. If you get baptized in the Father, in the oneness. They're called oneness. They're called Jesus only. They're called, and, and is, are they Christians? Yeah. I'd have to say they're Christians. I don't have a problem with that. But they don't think we're Christians. Well, they would if you, you know, how were you baptized? Were you baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or were you baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy... Or, no, I'm sorry, were you baptized in the name of Jesus? I think they literally said the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the name of Jesus. Perfect. That is the You're best right. way to do it. <laughs> exactly. That, that yes. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That is, you know, and my brother 
was here when he was teaching on Acts. And he got to that verse and he was talking about that. And him and I have joked back and forth. And he's coming in two weeks, not this Sunday, but he's going to come in two weeks and, and teach for two weeks on Sundays. And he goes, well, you know, what do you want me to teach on? And I said, you know, whatever's on your heart. And he goes, good. He said, I'll get everybody baptized in the name of Jesus while I'm there. He's not a strict oneness, but he believes that there's something there. There's something, you know, that, so when he baptizes people, because he believes that baptism is a big deal. He's a contractor. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a minister, a full-time minister. He's a contractor, but he is evangelistic. He's probably the, one of the most evangelistic people I know. And he also believes that you need to get baptized right away. Now, he doesn't believe that baptism saves you, but he believes it is important to get baptized. It seals something. It changes something. You, you know, if you're willing to be obedient to Christ at that moment, you will be obedient at, in another tough part of your life. And he says that he loves going to oneness churches and baptizing people because they're, they're, they're open. If you call them and say, I need to baptize somebody, they will open the doors immediately. They keep water running just in case somebody gets saved. So he says, it's great. If, I, if he's in a town, if he's doing a construction job somewhere and somebody gets saved, he goes, the Bible says you need to get uh, baptized. Will you do it? And the person goes, yeah. He immediately goes to the directory, finds a, a oneness church. United Pentecostal or Church of Christ, either one of those will, will do the same thing and call them up and they'll say, yeah, we'll open the doors right now as long as he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. But what, the way he baptizes is, I baptize in you in the name, as, the, as Jesus taught in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and as the disciples taught in the name of Jesus. He covers it. Makes everybody happy. But that person is making, they don't even know what's going on. <laughs> and, and heaven, you know, it doesn't really matter to heaven, I don't believe. But, but it's, it's, that, it's that, but see, that's, that sect is all a sect. I shouldn't have called it that. That, yeah, strain, there you go. <laughs> that, that strain of Pentecostalism is also very legalistic about other things. You know, they're the ones that wear the doilies. They're the ones that, you know, do all the other stuff. Diana knows that one. Uh. <laughs> Amish are believers, absolutely. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know them well enough. I don't know anything that much about them. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in being born again. But they're also a works-based. It, be, it becomes, to so many people, it becomes more about works than it does about relationship. So are they saved? Is everybody in our church saved? Oh, couldn't tell you. <laughs> it depends on what day it is. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, I don't, I mean, I would say yes, because I know their beliefs are very, very strong, very, very direct, and they're, and they're very concerned about things getting watered down, you know, and, and becoming, becoming worthless because it gets watered down, so. Great discussion. I mean, this is this is where this is where the rubber meets the road. It is it is important. You know, years ago I went to the very first mission trip I ever went to was to Jamaica, and I did not know that the guy that I went with went with was a Jesus only. But he preached Jesus, got people saved. I mean, I do, I would not have known he was Jesus only. I didn't even know what Jesus only was until I found out he wrote a book about Jesus only, oneness. And the, another friend of mine that was really ticked at him because, you know, don't mess this up. Don't, don't muddy the waters. What's important is you get saved, you get, you know, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, and you get going. You do what you do. Don't get all this doctrinal crud muddying the water. 
and background. I, and he's, he's come more over to Trinitarian doctrine, so he can pretty prominent And in their defense, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about the Trinity. I mean, as far as, I shouldn't say talks about, the word Trinity is not used in the Bible. Just like the word rapture is not used in the Bible. But, there is, but it describes the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as a, you know, and then when you go to <clears throat> Jewish beliefs, the Lord our God is one God. There, I don't have a problem with that. The Lord our God is one God. They, he, but he expresses himself in three parts. Right. It means unified. Exactly. The, where I, if I run into somebody who's oneness, the, only, the place I go to is the baptism of Jesus. You see Jesus being baptized physically. A spirit in the form of a dove, looked like a dove, landed upon him and entered him. And the, a, a voice spoke from heaven. Now, obviously he's God, he could do anything he wants. But I just, I just saw three separate but unified entities. Said that it lit upon him, sat upon him, or or lit upon him. Yeah. So, well, it didn't say specifically entered into him. I'm 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 going that. I'm just going to take that extra step. I think I'm pretty safe. Come on, bring it on, woman. So now, when we talk about women talking in church, we're going to get to that tonight. There's a perfect example of it right there. Why they didn't allow it. No. No. It, it didn't say that exactly. Yes. Correct. Love you. All right. This is good stuff. This, we're not going to get done with this tonight. So that's... Pastor Greg, you're on in two weeks. The next one, the next portions are very... Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, we may go into the summer. We just may have to continue on it. Huh? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. These, yeah, wars have been fought over this stuff. Yep. Yep. All right. Speaking of which, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, in context, because we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about who Jesus is, testing the spirits, but this is all in context. He's going to start talking about the spiritual gifts, and he's, he had to lay the groundwork of the spirit is God. The spirit testifies that Jesus is Lord. And, and when that same spirit operates, then the gifts are in evidence. The gifts are available. The gifts are there to be a witness. The gifts are not there for us to play with. And, and a lot of what he's going to talk about is that here, the, 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 the Corinthians got over into the gifts, became, you know, got introduced to the gifts, and they began to immediately excess on the gifts. And they left out the part of love. And that's what we're going to talk. He, he talks about that. We will get there. But he begins to describe the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God 
at work. So, even in that scripture right there, talks about spirit, God, you know, it's all the same when he's talking about the, the triune God, he's talking about God. He's talking about the same God. Now, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If you are born again, and if you are Spirit-filled, the gifts are given to you. You can operate. And I believe he expects us to operate in the gifts as he wills, as he leads. You can't pull it out of your pocket and say, I'm going to pull out my faith app right now and start operating in faith. It's as he wills. You can't work up faith. You can't work up a prophecy. You can't, you can't uh, say, okay, right now, I wanna, uh, you know, why don't you stand up, Brian, and you're going to start prophesying to the group. Because it's not as we will. We will certainly get there in a second. And so we cannot work up the, the gifts that he's talking about here whenever we want to, anytime we want to, however we want to. Okay? It says, as the Spirit wills. For the common good. It isn't for our benefit. It isn't so that we, you know, I'm going to prophesy because then I'll look good to the group here. People think I'm awesome. No. I believe that God is, I believe that God gives them to people as he wills. I believe that you can operate in any one of the gifts as he wills. It used to be thought, it used to be taught that you are given a gift and you operate in that uh, you know, primarily. I don't believe that. I believe that as a believer, as you're going through your life, at different times you need different gifts. You need different manifestations of the Spirit as He wills, and then He puts that anointing on you for that moment. <clears throat> Yes. Yeah, I don't doubt that a bit. I, I, I agree with that. Yep. I believe that he can give it to you whenever he wants, but I think there is a level of obedience and, and walking through it. You know, it's like giving a kid a, uh, you know, you don't, you don't give your 12-year-old son the keys to the car. You know, you may let him, let him uh, go start the car when he's 12, but he's not going to put it in gear. Or he's not supposed to. I, you know, I'm, I'm just using, a, off the top of my head, using an analogy. You know, but I do believe that any, any, excuse me, <clears throat> that every believer can operate in any one of the gifts as he leads when he, when he leads it. And isn't it for the benefit of people around you? I mean, yes. Because I've seen, and this is a personal thing, I've seen when we've been in, in Europe, you pull on prophecy and word of knowledge where you wouldn't even have to pull in here because mm-hmm. it's for the people, the benefit of the congregation that's there for the 
it's crazy. You're right. I mean, it, it's when I'm there, it seems like that is what happens. I'm, I prophesy, and I, I mean, and it's for hours. For hours. <laughs> and when I prophesy, it's scary accurate. And I'm even freaking myself out going, that's just crazy. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know these people. I don't know what I'm, and I'm saying these things by faith, and I don't know, and people are, are you know, getting powerfully delivered, delivered and moved and, and repenting, and I mean, all this stuff is going on. So, yeah, when I'm here, I mean, how many times has that happened here in this church? Well, no, it's happened a couple of times, twice, but it was, it's never been, I've never thought in the morning, hey, I think I'm going to prophesy today. And, hey. not for, I mean, for... and not for that, not like that, yeah, not like that. Yeah, that one, where were we, over by... Yasladine. Crazy, crazy day. I mean, it was just, I started prophesying over different people, individuals. And I didn't plan on it. That was not what I planned on doing. <clears throat> but one, <laughs> one couple came up to me, and they wanted prayer. And, and Marta was translating. And I, she goes, this couple wants prayer. They want, they, want you, they want you to pray over them. So I laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit said, pray, pray for them in tongues. Okay, so I start speaking tongues over their over their life, and I just start speaking tongues, speaking tongues, and it went on for a long time. And I said, and I get done, and the Holy Spirit says, "You're done. Walk away from them." So I said, "That's it. Thank you." You know, and she, the wife, looks at Marta and says, "That's it," because Marta goes, "There's no interpretation. I don't know what he said. I, you know, I don't." And she goes, that's it? And, she and then Marta turns to me and goes, that's it? And I went, that's it. That's all I got. I don't, I don't have anything else. And the wife starts getting angry. And she tells Marta, I came here for a word from the Lord. You, you, t you know, I, I want a word from the Lord. And, and, I, and Marta goes, she really, really wants a word from the Lord. I said, I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit told me I'm done. I'm not supposed to say another word to her. And, and, I, and she, just, she could just see she was ticked. She was angry. And she kind of stomped off. About two minutes later, she came back with tears running down her face. And she grabbed a hold of Marta, and she said, please tell him I'm sorry. And, and Marta's like, okay. So she turns to me, and she goes, this, you know, this lady wants me to tell you that she's sorry. And I said, okay, that's, I don't know what for, but yeah, that's fine. And Marta, she starts to explain to Marta that she was mad because she came there wanting a word from God. The whole, you know, they had traveled there so that she could get a word from God. But as she says she had walked back to her seat to get her things because she was mad and she was going to leave. And the Holy Spirit says, what did you say to me in the car? And she was like, oh, my gosh. She, on the way to the meeting, she had said to the Lord, I don't want to hear any word from man. I only want to hear a word from you. And she said the Holy Spirit convicted her that you didn't say you wanted to hear it in a language you understood. <laughs> And, he, and she said, if I would have said something, she could have written it off. But, and it wasn't, she didn't even know what I said. But the Spirit of God convicted her. It, it moved her so powerfully that she, was, she repented. She says, I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry for the way I, I reacted towards you. So, yeah, I mean, who, how do you know that stuff? You don't know that stuff. You just have no idea how, you know. <clears throat> okay. So, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 8. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. By the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. 
to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each just as he determines. If I look at this list, message of wisdom, message of knowledge, we sometimes call it, the the King James says, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Faith is a third. Healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. If I look at that list... And, the, you know, somebody asked, Can, you know, is, is there only one gift given to one person? If I look at that, I've only, as far, from what I can, if I were to be honest, the, I can't say I've, oper- I've seen God operate through me in all of them. Miraculous powers, I can't say that. I just, unless you consider a healing, an instantaneous healing as a, as a miraculous power. If that case, then I would say at some point in time in the last 25 years, God has operated through me in one of those, every one of those areas as he willed. Never have I been able to do it when I want to. That would be great. I'd love to be able That would be so cool. You know, but we're not. That's, it's, it's as he wills because it's for him. Okay? I believe that, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. I believe anybody. My brother, like I say, he's not a, a full-time minister. He's a, he's a con- con- construction worker. But his main goal in life is to share Christ with whoever he comes in contact with, wherever it is. He has seen all of these things operate in his life at one point or you know, he was he was driving, or he was he was hitchhiking. Don't ever hitchhike bad. Hitchhike bad. <clears throat> he was hitchhiking one time, got picked up by a guy. And as he's going down the road, he's praying and asking God, God, I want to witness to this man. How? Give me an in. Give me an ability to, to, to speak to this man and that he'll hear me, that he'll listen to me. But I don't know where to start. God, what do I, where do I start? Okay, Lord, here, I'm going to pray for this. Lord, I pray that his ears be open to hear the gospel. And just then the guy goes, oh, wow, wow, whoa. And he just about goes off the road. And my brother goes, what? And he goes, that ear has been stopped up. He says, I haven't heard anything out of that ear for 20 years instantaneously the man was healed. And it, it isn't that he laid hands on him, asked, but he just asked God to heal him, and God did it. And, and the guy goes, wow, that's amazing. What just happened? And my brother goes, opening. <laughs> you know, He goes, God just healed you because I asked him to. So, you know, it can happen to anybody that puts their life out there and says, I want to live for God. I want to I be a witness for God. He will, he will allow you to walk in that kind of anointing. Okay? These nine gifts are many times taught as ministry gifts because it it actually says that in verse 4, there are different, or beginning with verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. And he gives each one the manifestation of the gift for the common good. And so all of those things, all those nine gifts are ministry gifts. You, like Brian said, it is something you, that, that God gives you for someone else's benefit. Now, I've prayed for healing for myself, and I've seen healing. But that's different. See, I would not call that one of these. You know, I would not call it workings of miracles or, or healing gifts. That is just my right as a, as a believer. If I pray for myself 
to be healed. And if I stand, you know, not even pray for myself, when I stand on the promises of the word and I get healed because of them, it's because the word works. It's because God is who he is. It's not because I'm operating in some gift. It's just I'm, I'm putting my faith in what he said is, is true for my life. These nine gifts are for ministering to other people. Word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is when you say something to somebody that you don't know that has happened, that has, you know, in the past happened. And, and you, you know, somebody, uh, examples. I'd, you know, I'd have to start thinking about examples, how that's happened. You know, you could be saying, you know, uh, God wants you to know that the decision that you made last week was the right one. Now, you have no idea what that means. I wouldn't know what that means. I mean, not that I don't even know if I'm just, that doesn't mean anything, okay? That was disclaimer <laughs> whatever decision unless of course it fits you know then go i've seen stranger things happen but that's a word of knowledge and we see that where in the old testament when the prophet said you know i saw you you know they, he saw them afar off and 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 god would speak to them and give them a word you know a man's going to come and this is what's going on in his life blah 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 a word of knowledge is something that's happened in the past that god gives you special knowledge of I'd love to give you a concrete thing that's happened for me. I can't think of one right now. Just, but you get, the, you get the gist. It's The word of knowledge is something that's happened in the past that God gives you special knowledge that when you speak it forth, it proves to that person, okay, this person's hearing from God. Okay, that's what it's, The message of wisdom, whenever you've seen that in the Old, in the New, Old Testament and the New Testament, is it's a, it's a knowledge of, a, of an upcoming event that you wouldn't naturally have ability to know. It's not prophecy, per se, because it isn't, thus saith the Lord, you know, a word from the Lord, because that's prophecy, okay? Word of wisdom is, you know, uh, I'd love to, I should have written down some of these, because I, right off the top of my head, I can't just pop them out. But, you know, something is going to happen tomorrow. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's knowing that something's coming up, and, and helping somebody to make the right decision based on that. That's word of wisdom, knowing what's going to happen in the future. But it's a God-given gift. It's not fortune-telling. Prophecy is when you foretell the words of God. God is speaking to... When, when you speak to somebody and you tell them what the Holy Spirit is telling you about that person, that is prophecy. The word prophecy, the Greek word for prophecy... Is actually means forthtelling. So you you tell them what the Holy Spirit is saying. What I'm doing right now is prophecy. In another sense, I'm forthtelling the gospel, teaching on the on the on the on the good news, the, the gospel, and and I'm and I'm speaking forth the word of God. It's a, it's a class. Doesn't make any difference if I as if I'm in front of the congregation. <clears throat> No. The, the word of wisdom, I mean, he had wisdom. The word of wisdom, when we see it in the Bible, is when, is when you have knowledge of a, of a future event that you, that you wouldn't have known otherwise. God gave you, a, a, you know, an understanding of that event, and you're able, like when, when um, Paul is going on his way to Jerusalem, and Agabus comes up to him, takes off his belt, or takes off Paul's belt, excuse me, <laughs> takes off Paul's belt, wraps it around his, his hands, and says, "You'll be the man, the owner of this belt will be led like this, uh, you know, where he does not want to go." Yada yada yada. 
The knowledge that it was going to happen is a word of wisdom. When he actually spoke it out, it's prophecy. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I mean, it's splitting hairs there. But the knowledge that it's going to happen, because not everything that God tells you, you're supposed to speak forth. And And the message of wisdom can happen without you speaking it forth. You know, I went in, I've gone into counseling sessions with people, and, and the Holy Spirit told me ahead of time what was going on in their life, everything. So when they told me, I'm going, yep, yep. I mean, I already knew it. Didn't, I didn't know, I, didn't, I wasn't there when it happened. I didn't know what their decisions they were making, but I knew ahead of time. I also didn't say anything to them. But what it did is it helped me to be prepared and give me confidence to say what the Holy Spirit was saying to them. You see, does that make sense? So, so the wisdom is the, fore, is the foreknowledge. Prophecy is when you actually speak forward, thus saith the Lord, or it doesn't even have to be that. I, a guy gave me a prophecy one time, eating an apple over the phone. <laughs> John, the God wants me to let you know. <laughs> and he gave me this word. And it was powerful. It changed my life. I mean, it, it, was, it was God. It, it was a prophecy. So, the, so that's the speaking forth part. <clears throat> Yes. And, you know, that, that when you spoke that out to them, you, you gave them um, the word of wisdom, and that is going to help them in bringing up babies. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Amen. Okay. Those three, um, those, those are those three. Let's get to the rest of these real quick here. The next one is faith. It's the one that I forgot to make a, 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 a line for. I'm looking at my, on my notes before I came in tonight, and there's eight gifts there, and I'm going, no, there's nine. Which one is not there? And I had to go through the list again, and it was one that it just did, it, it, for whatever reason, my mind went right over the top of it. Verse 9, to another faith. Now, this faith is not the kind of faith that I believe in Jesus Christ putting your faith in, in salvation. This faith is a supernatural faith. A supernatural faith to believe God that something is going to happen that is completely outside of, of the natural realm of ability to do. It may not, it, it's kind of like the word of wisdom is the foreknowledge of something's going to happen. Prophecy is when you actually speak it out. <clears throat> faith is what happens before you see healing or miracles or whatever when when somebody has the gift of faith it is a supernatural unction to believe that god is going to do whatever you ask him to do for example uh, i was at a meeting one night and a woman was sharing a testimony she was in her office she um was working on some stuff, getting ready for a sermon she was going to write, she was going to go speak somewhere. And as she's writing, the Holy Spirit said to her, get up right now, go down to the pool, you're going to raise somebody from the dead. And she just did it. She said it was like she, you know, she had control, but she didn't have control. She just got up, and she just started heading towards the pool, not knowing, number one, that there was something going on, 
So there's a whole bunch of gifts going on here at the same time. She didn't know that something was happening. By the spirit, she knew she had to go down to the pool. She was at a, 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 like an apartment building, so it was a public pool. It wasn't a, her private pool. It was a public pool. Go down to the pool. So that was a, that was a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge because it was already happening. You're going to raise somebody from the dead. And so as she's going down there, she's you know, thinking, I mean, in her mind, she's thinking, raise somebody from the dead? Never done that before. That's, you know, you could just, you know, it's, it's, it's outside of yourself. It's just this, this gift of faith that propels you towards doing what God's told you to do. She got down there, and they're working on this guy on CPR. She walks through the door, and that's the first she physically knows that this is happening. They're working on a guy on CPR. She walks over to them, says, in the name of Jesus, rise up. And immediately he, his eyes open up, and he starts to breathe and scream. He started to scream, and he starts screaming, I have to get saved, I have to get saved. He had been in hell. So the faith was the part where you, just, you, you do something, it, it propels you towards it. Gift of faith, I've seen that, I've only, I could put, you know, well, one of the times that I say that, that actually happened in my life was early on. That was, that was the, that's why I was kind of hesitant when you said that it only happened, you know, the, the smaller things. I was at Sunshine. I was at the Sunshine Festival in, uh, over there, wherever it's at, Wilmer. And all of a sudden, it, the, it was a beautiful day. All of a sudden, you saw clouds coming in, and it was one long cloud that was rolling. And it was coming from the west, and it was rolling across. And the wind started picking up. And they came over the loudspeaker. They said, everybody get to shelter. There's a tornado coming. And you could see this cloud, huge cloud rolling. It was real long, and it was rolling. And as, I was, as we were walking to the cars, I looked up, and before I could, could think twice about it, I yelled, in the name of Jesus, peace be still. And the thing just went, it stopped. Now, there might have been 50,000 other people there that day yelling the same thing. Who knows? But to me, that was, I mean, it really meant something to me. God, you know, that, that God would, would, would lead me to say that. But I didn't think about it. It wasn't, it wasn't something I worked up, okay, the Bible says I can say this and I can do this. It was just, it was just there. It was a gift of faith that, that caused me to go somewhere where I didn't, wasn't expecting to go, to, to do something I wasn't expecting to do. All right. So, to another, faith by the same power. Gifts of healing, obviously. Gifts of healing is praying for somebody, seeing healing in their life. Um, some people would say that gifts of healing is a progressive healing. A working of miracle is a miracle. You know, that it happens instantaneously. I don't split hairs on that one. God can do whatever he wants and he can call it whatever he wants. But it's the idea, gifts of healing. Uh, miraculous powers. Turning water into wine was a miraculous power. That was, that was something outside of nature, outside of the realm of, of possibility. When Jesus operated in that, he operated in miraculous powers. Prophecy is when you speak that thing forth. Distinguishing of spirits um, can, can take a number of different... Um, a, a number of different forms. Distinguishing of spirits could be you actually see into the spirit realm. And I have met people who have actually seen into the spirit realm. I never have. I've never actually seen demons, angels, good, evil, whatever. I have a friend. 
had a friend, I haven't seen him in a number of years now, who actually would see physical demons, physical, physical spirits, physical uh, angels. And he would tell you there's an angel over there. And this guy, he wasn't a weirdo. He wasn't, you know, the normal person you would think that could, you know, ooh, there's a demon over there, you know. He would just be very matter-of-fact about it. And it wasn't, he was not weird. He would just say, there's a demon over there. Or he, when we would be praying, he would be praying, and he could see the, the angels gathering around um, the, whatever situation we were praying for. So he could see that. I have never seen that. Praise God, I think it freaked me out. I don't need to see it. I just don't need to. The other form it can take, though, is you get into a situation, and you hear somebody say something, or you, you, you see the situation unfolding, and you can know. And how do you know? You don't know, but you know evil, good. Good, evil. And you can just you can see that. That I have experienced on a number of occasions. I can, I've, I've had people talking to me, and I'm going, liar. I know it's not true. I mean, and I don't know how I know it's not, but I, it's, it's that distinguishing of spirits. I can tell that a spirit is lying to me right now, whatever, whatever, in that, in that situation. It's not something I work up. It's not something I'm even looking for. Usually it's, it, it actually takes me aback. And it, it usually happens in, in a counseling session. Somebody will be going, well, this is, what, this is what happened. And I'm going, no, it didn't. Now, is that a word of knowledge? I mean, here's where you can start splitting hairs. I don't know. But it's just, you can tell if somebody, I can tell if somebody's lying. Distinguishing of spirits um, in that way. All right. Then we get over to, oh, sure, he leaves. Right as I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues. You'll have to, Kelly, you'll have to listen to the, to the uh, taping here. Speaking, speaking in different kinds of tongues and in conjunction with the rest of that verse says interpretation of tongues. That specific ministry gift is for in a meeting. It's like prophecy. It is, it, is a, it is another manifestation of a prophetic or a speaking gift. When you, when you look at these nine gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and distinguishing of spirits are usually wrapped together. Those three are called the knowledge gifts. What, is, what, what, did, what did Hagen call them? The discern, not, not the discernment gifts, but he, something like knowledge gifts or the... No, the power gifts are healing, faith, and working of miracles. They're called the power gifts. The vocal gifts are prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. The, vo, the, the, the vocal gifts. Prophecy is when you speak forth something of God. Tongues and interpretation of tongues is a speaking forth of the word of God, but in an unknown tongue. And those two have to work in conjunction. You, you, you don't have tongues without an interpretation. It's not, it's not biblically correct. I don't believe God does it. If, there is a, if there's a message in tongues, there will be an interpretation. And it's okay if the same person who gave the tongue gives the interpretation. It's okay to do that. I've, I've experienced that. Many times, that's, I'll, I'll start speaking in tongues when, I, when the Lord leads me to do that, and then I will have the interpretation of it. But I've also seen somebody completely different have the interpretation of it. Now I have to start all over. Tongues. <laughs> the, the message of speaking in tongues is a ministry gift. Real quick. is a ministry gift. It works in conjunction with the interpretation of tongues, which is a ministry gift. In with these nine gifts. Dana can fill you in on the rest of what I said. But it's, uh, 
it is, a, it is in a ministry situation. Your question was, when, when people say they can speak in tongues at any given time, they're talking about something different. They're talking about praying in the Spirit. Jude talks about praying in the Spirit. Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is what you do during... And you can, I could pray in the Spirit right now. Now, the Bible says you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it if, if you're in, in certain situations, if there's unbelievers there. And you shouldn't do it um, if that's all you're doing. I mean, just to come into a service, and that's, you know, we'll get into this next week. Because what they were doing was they were coming into the service and everybody was praying in the Spirit. They were calling it speaking in tongues, because that's another way to say it. I mean, it's another way, another description of it. But it's not the same thing. Praying in the Spirit is different than speaking in tongues. Because the speaking in tongues part is a prophecy-like gift. And, I, and as I was saying before, um, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy are called the vocal gifts many times. Uh, healing, miraculous power, and faith are called the power gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirit is called the I'll have to look, revelation gifts. That's it. The revelation gifts. They're, they're grouped that way. Prophecy can, is on its own, and that's, and that's what Paul then goes on to talk about. He goes, he goes if, if all you do is come into your service, because that's what they were doing. They were coming together, a couple hundred people, they would start the service, and everybody would start praying in, in the Spirit, because we're all being used of God, right? The thing is, they were being edified, and he says that. He says, he says the, the speaker is being edified, but nobody else is. They have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what each other are saying. And so... Um, the other side of that is praying in the Spirit. And, 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 and Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. But he's discerning, he, he's not discerning, he's differentiating between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. Because if you speak in tongues, there has to be an interpretation. Okay? Yep. And, we, and we'll actually get into more of that next week and uh, be more specific. So, not ne- well, next week we'll have class. There will be a class on the unscheduled day of class Pastor Greg's going to teach that. He'll have, he will actually do, because we'll get through 14, 13 and 14 next week. He will do 15 and 16 in two weeks. So next week we'll do 13. We'll finish up 12, do 13 and 14. He will do 15 and 16. And then when I come back, we'll be back on track again. Okay. Have a great week. Bless you guys.